This episode of Inside Voices is sponsored by Lecky Scotland. You can build inquisitive and positive mindsets towards maths with Primary Maths for Scotland. It's a whole school scheme developed specifically for Curriculum for Excellence. With teacher guides, textbooks, assessment packs, it provides everything that teachers need. You can find out more about this by visiting leckyscotland.co.uk. Welcome back to another episode of Inside Voices, a teacher podcast made by teachers for teachers. I'm your host, David. And I'm Laura. And remember, in here, we use our inside voices. So this week's episode, we're going to be talking about numeracy approaches. We actually have a guest coming on um, in the episode halfway through, uh, and we'll introduce him when he comes on. But before we do that, we're going to chat a little bit about how we approach numeracy in our class and how things have changed over the years as well. But before we begin, are you not just absolutely exhausted? Longest week ever. And I had my observed lesson on Tuesday. <laughs> it's just like, yours is, yours is next week. I've got mine coming but. on Tuesday and I'm kind of slightly dreading it. But lads, lads have had the busiest week. Oh, he's truly been like run off his life. I'm saying I've, it's been the longest week ever. I have had a normal teaching week apart from that. You have not. <laughs> so when we're filming this, it's been Remembrance Day. Mm-hmm. And, and our school primary sevens get to do Remembrance assembly parents come in we perform it for the school and for the parents as well and i don't know why those things are just always so tiring i think it's because you put the pressure on yourself as well though and you want it to go so well so you're like you're worried for the students not worried for them because you know they'll be fine but like you just you want them to showcase their talents well yeah i think do you know what the most stressful thing about the whole thing is getting the audio system working in any oh. school. Why is it in any school, right, that audio and visual just don't work? Yeah, when you need them to. And our systems are incredible. Like, we actually so have like, really high-tech stuff, yeah. and none of it ever seems to work first time. The minute you like fiddle about with it and fix it and everything, it works. But why is it that you have to have like a sound engineer degree <laughs> to actually <laughs> work any of this stuff? I think that's what tires me out because that, that kind of stuff stresses me out. People are quite good at it. I'm not very good at it. and Yet. I'm not good at it yet. Exactly. So anyway, we're tired today. It's a Saturday morning. We're filming on behind the curtain there, guys. Um, we film not on a Wednesday. And also, it is so early. And also, I had to get up at seven o'clock this morning. It's very, very cold. That's the middle of the night for me on a Saturday. So, anyway, we are going to (laughs) be. That's the middle of the night. I sleep till like lunchtime. Are you kidding? (laughs) Remember, I said a couple of episodes about how parents must think they're at it. Oh, yeah. That's that's added to it. I've had so many comments about that. (laughs) Uh, Parents do indeed think we are actually at it. Anyway, we are going to be talking about numeracy as big subjects. We're going to talk for a little bit. Uh, between ourselves and then we're going to invite our guests on he is someone that knows maths inside out he's yep. the head of education at universities he's done he's written textbooks like he is the guy so mm-hmm. basically we're going to ask him some of our questions and some of your questions because we've got some of your questions as well exactly um but before we do that what <laughs> i know the answer to this <laughs> what are your thoughts and feelings <laughs> on teaching maths okay now now i love it okay but when I started training, so I did the postgrad, I spoke about this in last week's episode, but when I started training, I was so 
nervous about teaching maths and I remember my uni put on like a little the high school maths teachers put on like a little drop in you could go in and you could because obviously you don't really remember much about primary maths you know you have the foundations there because obviously you've understood things yeah you've brought the concepts up with you but it's the same as like if someone said to me before I start teaching what's a noun I'd be like I I don't know I can't remember but those wee things you forget but you know how to do yeah I was so nervous. I was like, I can't do this. I'm not going to be able to teach this math. It's going to be so... Because when I was at maths, basically when I moved up to high school, there was a wee like, issue with the group I ended up in in maths. And I ended up in a group that had been covering, like I'm presuming third level, all the way through primary seven. That that was not where your girl was supposed to be. Or you got put in the wrong class. Uh-huh. So I didn't have a clue what was going on. And I sat there failing the whole way through first year. And I'm like, I... I don't know what's going on. Like, I, yeah. you keep telling me I should know this, and I definitely don't know this. Like, <laughs> so all of first year I was in that situation, and then they moved me to a different set where I was like, okay, now I know exactly what I'm doing, but I think I've done this like three years ago, uh-huh. and they just so didn't know where to low. put me. Then by the time I finally got put into the class I was supposed to be in, obviously I'd missed a whole chunk of things yeah. that they'd done, and that just totally knocked my confidence because I was sitting. My teacher was great. That teacher I had in that class, he was really understanding. He would, he knew the situation because I'd spoken about it with them, and he would help me with everything. But I just ended up being like, I am in this sort of middle ground where you keep saying I should know this, I don't know it because I've been mixed up in the wrong classes for the last wee while, and I don't know where I'm supposed to be, and. Yeah. It just knocked my confidence with it. I ended up trying higher maths and then... Uh, did you not do higher maths? No. <laughs> I did not. I did not. <laughs> I lasted like two months of that. And I was like, I'm going to swap. Do you want to guess what I swapped it for? Go on. You're not going to get this. Cake making. No. That was a subject. No, yeah, cake school. decorating was also... Uh, well, we had cake decorating. No, no, no. Like dance or something. Or what was it? <laughs> it was classical studies. Oh, which really? was Greek mythology. Yeah, okay. Really interesting, but I don't really know how it's on the same page no. and in the same <laughs> section as maths. I think it was the only one that was left, to be honest, at that time. And I was like, yeah, cool. I ended up loving it. It was very interesting, but... Yeah, you don't really need higher maths. You know, when I went home teaching. and I was like, you know, mum, I'm going to drop out of higher maths mm-hmm. to do some Greek mythology. Yeah, it didn't go well. No, no, it didn't. But hey-ho, I loved it. Anyway, So it was an anxious thing, I think. So when I yeah. went into uni... And to go into teaching, it was the times tables that were getting me. I, I never, I have the memory, like, I actually have a memory, a really, really poor memory. I don't just memorize things. It's four times three. I can't, don't do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't just memorize things. And I didn't have any conceptual understanding of times tables. <clears throat> I had un- no conceptual understanding really You didn't know of how it. to do your arrays and everything. Uh, I didn't know that. And then I remember going to this little drop in thing. And I said, I cannot do times tables. I can't remember them. If someone asks me one like that, I can't remember it. I can work it out, but it takes me time and I can't remember it. Mm-hmm. And the lecturer there was like, so how do you work it out? And I was like, right, say I had like four times three, for example, I would do three times two and then I would times that. And then I went through how I would work it out. And she went, so you actually do have a really good understanding of how to break numbers down and put them back together. And she went, that's what they do in primary school now. They uh-huh. don't just memorize things. And that just shifted it for me. And, and you thought, oh, I never I thought, have to oh, right, remember okay. them. <laughs> this now makes sense that if the way that at my brain works is the way it's now taught. Like you're not expected to just sit there and go, two times one is, mm-hmm. you know, you're, that's what we used to two do. Two times one is. Okay, I actually know what two <laughs> times one is. Don't push it. But, but 
the way my brain worked is breaking it down that way. And then someone yeah. said to me, if you can double and you can half, you can do every times table. Yeah. And I always say that to my classes now and it blows their mind because they're always like, I don't know how to do the eight times table. And I'm like, do you know your four times table? Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, you know your eight times table then. Yeah. Can you double things? Like, you know. That's why it becomes tricky with the seven times table. Anyway, the, the only one you have to memorize. My really. journey with maths is completely different to that. Because he was a bit of a maths whiz in primary school. Took your own horn. <laughs> yeah, it kind of fell apart as I went uh, as I got older. <laughs> primary school was my peak, but like, see games like Buzz and stuff. Oh, the was that? I thought that was like a, was a PlayStation game. Buzz. It was a quiz show. You had a little remote. Okay. No. Okay. The one where you'd go around with the pretty sure it was times tables and you go one, two, three, Buzz, four, five. Buns. I think, nope, never Whatever. played that before. Anyway, probably because uh, I was hiding in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> you were in the toilet, that one. It's a times table game and that kind of thing. I loved all that stuff because I had my times tables memorised quite early on. But I would say that all of that memorisation in maths, basically primary school maths for me was memorising processes. Yeah. And then when I got to high school, it got, it got a lot diff- more difficult because I, I remember actually sitting in higher maths. Uh, listen. He got an A in higher maths. But I do remember... He lasted si- longer <laughs> than two months. I do remember sitting... I also had to get a tutor. I do remember sitting in higher maths thinking, I actually don't understand this. And this was the. It was probably the first time in school where I'd sat and gone, I don't get this. Like, yeah. I actually don't get this. Maybe standard grade, actually. And I remember looking around at people in my class because they were all very, very bright. And I remember looking around thinking... Oh, oh, they've all my got it. Goodness. Yeah. They get it like that and they don't have to do all their homework. And they, there was a couple of people who were just really natural at maths. They just got it. And uh, that really shook my confidence a bit. And then he decided to go and do accountancy at university. Mm. Strange decisions. Choice. Anyway, um, yeah, so my memorization of maths and things like that was probably yeah. what hindered me there because I yeah. wasn't understanding the processes. And I think I've spoken about that before. But, but that's something people always say, though. They always say they've either got a maths brain or they don't. And I think I was really guilty of that. I was really guilty of saying, I just don't have a maths brain. Uh-huh. But actually, there is no such thing as having a maths brain or yeah. not having a maths brain. It just naturally takes you a little bit longer to work some things out. But if your conceptual understanding is there, which is why it's so important to teach now, yeah. it's like you said, you, it's the first time you'd come across something difficult. And it's not that you didn't have the maths brain for it it's just yeah you had to maybe work on it a little bit more and I think yeah. part of my issue was as well that I enjoyed the literacy side of things so much and I found that came really naturally to me mm-hmm. that when I went into maths and it was difficult I was like oh, this you just isn't focus, for me yeah you just focus like, on the I, I don't have more. to try these other things yeah and I'm relatively good at them I can get by and then when it came to maths, I was like, nope. I just, honestly, you said you had a tutor. I had a tutor. And <laughs> he was the best guy. He has so much patience. He's a teacher now, actually. So much patience. Because I would be sobbing <laughs> every <laughs> Tuesday night. Like, I don't want, I can't. Do. Like, really, like, breaking my heart over having to sit with a tutor. And he was always so nice. I was like, mm. You know, when I'm like, what's two times four? And she's like, 76. He's like, uh-huh, try again. <laughs> You know, it's because he's getting paid. That's why. When I went to the postcard and we had to take a little math test to like online, it wasn't marked. It was just however many times you needed to. Yeah. Like, this guy has the top score, and no one's ever beaten it because he did it this quickly. And this is his mm-hmm. top mark. It was my math tutor. Really. And I was like, I actually went up to the lecture and I went, I actually have him to thank that I'm sitting here because uh-huh. like, he got me through. That's cool. And she was like, that's so nice. So if he's ever listening to this, I highly doubt he will, and he probably will not even know who I am because I don't <laughs> have the same name anymore either. But. He did the postgrad at Dundee Uni and had the top maths test score. 
That's in quite a, it's quite a niche claim to fame. Quite a niche claim, but, but do you know what? <laughs> I admire it. So yeah, we both have kind of different views on like you love teaching literacy, arts, reading, Not all that art, stuff. Though. Not art, but the arts. And I love teaching maths. I do, I do like it. I do really like teaching it, to be honest. It's one of my favourite things to teach. And that was not the case when I started teaching. I couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't get my head around differentiation. I couldn't get my head around why some people understood the times tables and didn't understand it. I couldn't get my head around why half the class got something. And yeah. then half, it just wasn't my experience of primary school. My experience of primary school was just like flying through yeah. stuff. And that took me a while in my probation year and my first year out to kind of get my head around that. But... I would say the changes in the way that I teach and the way that we teach across mm-hmm. the council have helped me in understanding Oh, yeah, that, massively. Would you say? Yeah, massively. I think you see it now. I think the old class is classic as like the homework, right? So you're sitting around to do your homework. And I mean, my mum used to hit me with this. You know, we didn't do it like this when back in my day <laughs> because it's just column oh, method. I still want to ask take, Craig about that. Take like adding and subtracting, for example, like column method, adding and subtracting. You're adding 62 and I don't know what, 24 or something. And back in my day, it was column addition. You would add it up, but you wouldn't have any idea what what the carrying was. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, what am I doing here? Because yeah. the answer is whatever. I've got, a ca- oh, that doesn't even have carrying in it. Poor example. <laughs> <laughs> but if I was carrying over, I'd be like, okay, the answer is 12. So I'm going to move that over but I don't know what that is Uh I'm like so then I'm adding say I had a number in the hundreds and I'm adding my tens I'm saying okay the answer is 12 okay but the answer isn't 12 because that that's not what the answer is you know you're doing 90 add 30 you're not doing 9 add 3 so the answer isn't 12 Uh the answer is 120 and you're carrying your 100 over did I get that no no because all I knew was a method whereas now partitioning makes that clear so you take away you break your numbers down I always describe it as like a Lego tower Mm -hmm. so I say you've got two numbers that are two Lego towers we're going to take all the pieces apart and we're going to put it back together and make one big tower and I actually get the Lego out and sometimes we write on it and with whiteboard pens we write on the Lego so we build the number and then they take it apart they put the number back together and they because it's whiteboard pen you can just wipe it off Uh and you write the new number and it's just like something in that and I think that that's when you get to the the harder maths when you're older if you've got that understanding you've built that understanding in your class maths is not a process remembering or a formula remembering subject anymore yeah and i think that is the biggest shift we always talk about old maths versus new maths with parents because parents come in and they are you know tearing their hair out at yep. home doing homework and they say well it just works so why don't you just do it this way why can't you just this way and I get that like if you're <laughs> if you're stressed and you're busy and you've got clubs to go to and your kids lives are crazy and homework's a fight like just do it the way I know mm-hmm. and that's like it works why can't you do that and then the kids sometimes struggle to explain the way they've done it in class because yep. they've not got the support and everything they've not got them they can't remember it fully um and then parents get frustrated and kids get frustrated but the thinking behind it, and we're going to ask Craig about this in a second, the thinking behind it is that conceptual understanding mm-hmm. of actually what you're doing so that you can apply maths across disciplines yep. and apply it across life skills as well. 
Um, one of the ways that that happens now, um, and teachers will know about this, but maybe people that aren't teachers might not know about this, but we approach maths in a kind of three-pronged approach now. Yep. So every time you teach a new maths concept, we kind of attack it from three angles. First of all, you start with your concrete materials, like yep. Laura said, with the, the Lego blocks and things. So, But get, get creative with this because you'll probably have things in your room that you can use. So yep. Play-Doh love if you put like play-doh out flat you can make a raise you can make a little play-doh you can do like anything yeah. you have in your classroom pretty much can be used for a concrete approach somehow you don't need all the kind of latest manipulatives to do that if you've got counters for example can be used for like everything pretty yeah. much you know you've got your shapes you've got lego bricks you've got play-dohs you've got all the things that they're probably playing with in the classroom yeah. that just make it come to life because if you're saying we're partitioning a number and you take it apart and you say, right, we're taking this number apart and you're just writing it. That doesn't really make sense. Whereas if you're physically yeah. taking apart a Lego brick to put it back together, there, that just makes it so much clearer and makes it make so much more sense than just saying, we're going to take this number apart. Because also, if you've got anyone in your class who's neurodivergent and a learner who takes that very literally, mm -hmm. like, but you're not taking anything apart. You're writing a number up on the board. Yeah, and a constant kind of mistake that children will make with that particular skill, um, just to kind of focus in on it for a second, is when you say, yeah, we're partitioning this number up or we're splitting this number up, and you say, right, you've got 36 or whatever, they'll, they'll split the number up, but when they put it back together, why can't I just put the three and the six together to make yeah. nine? And they, they do things like that, they just yeah. kind of get it wrong. But anyway, so the, the concrete one is how you always want to start. You always want to start with that. A thing that they can physically move and physically um, manipulate. So even if you're doing things like measure, angle, area, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. you always want to make it more active, make it more real life. Then you move on. And this helped me really break down every kind of topic that I teach. You move on and you do um, pictorial or visual. So once you've moved from the concrete and you're quite confident that they understand that, you move on to the the kind of picture aspect of mm -hmm. it. So you want to get them looking at visuals on your screen. You want to get them printouts. You want to look at everything they can in a draw picture. It, like, yeah. Lots of ways. They have to be able to picture it in their head. Yeah. Can they draw it? Can they do? Can they do a sum four different ways? Can they do their think boards and all that kind of stuff? Do you know I'm gonna pick you up on that one oh, because no. the word sum. What does it mean? What did I say? You said well, you said sum, but what does the word sum mean in the context of numeracy? Adding. Yeah. So that's when people say like, we're doing some sums today. And I'm like, well, sums technically, if we're being picky, should only be for adding calculations. And I used to do this all the time. And it was actually one of my placement <laughs> teachers who said to me, it's such a minor thing. But then if you're trying to teach them the language of adding yes, and you're trying to teach them in week. word problems and they see the word sum and you've been saying sums for the last year and mm -hmm. subtracting is in there and multiplying is in there and division is in there. They're like, well, why is it now adding? So now I'm so conscious of it when I'm teaching. I'm like, we are doing calculations today or algorithms if you want to be a bit more fancy. She's got the word police so out today. Don't, don't no say sum unless you're doing... <laughs> adding okay um <laughs> yeah i was actually teaching that this week so i should have known that i was doing some find the product all that find the difference anyway what was i saying anyway <laughs> visuals yeah so you want your pictures you want them to be able to visualize it in their head and show that visualize visualization 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 turned into sean, sean connery, connery <laughs> over here <laughs> in their head and also on a on a piece of paper and then finally you want the abstract that's where you want to be able to get to so that they can start to see things without needing the picture, without, yeah. like, they can just start to see abstract problems I think it's really, uh, when you do the pictorial and you're kind of getting ready to shift on, 
I always think it's really interesting when you put something on, like you put a calculation up and you ask them to solve it whichever way you want. So right now we are going through the different strategies. We've done like empty number line. We've done like kind of friendly numbers, breaking numbers apart, reordering, all of that. We're going through all of that just now. And you say, okay, now we're at the point of solve this with whichever strategy you want. Some of the strategies they come up with blow my mind. But I think that's such a good thing to see in maths now because... Where's before everyone fit into a box? And I think that's where a lot of the anxiety in numeracy and maths comes from and people like our age and people older that they were fit into a box and if you didn't get it, you didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I put a calculation on the board and I can have 15 different ways of that being solved. I maybe only get five of them, yep. but they've gotten the right answer and they can explain their thinking really well. So the key skill in that is explanation of how they got there. So you're not looking for the strategy to make sense to you you're looking for the explanation to make sense so you can kind of hear okay yeah. i can see that that would work for other calculations mm-hmm. and obviously you also encourage them to pick the most efficient strategy rather than picking the same one all the time yeah it's always a really interesting yeah. conversation but giving them the option means that you're not sitting in your maths exam going oh i can't remember how to do long multiplication in the formal method mm-hmm. because you can just do a grid method really quickly and there you go, I've got the answer. Yep. Whereas if I did that in high school, they would have been like, no, 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 you're doing it this way. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was taught grid method in primary sc- when I came into primary school teaching and I'm like, my whole world has just changed. If <laughs> I was taught like this, She's a I would have... She's a big fan of the grid I, method. <laughs> I, I really like... Partitioning is the strategy I always go to anyway, but grid method is the one for me. Yeah, it's but I think best. that is a good point that children mix and match yeah, their completely. strategies as well, which is good. And the best thing to do about it is to talk about it and get their understanding. Yes, of absolutely. It as well. We have been kind of talking about maths from our point of view, but now we're going to be talking to an expert in maths. He is going to be coming on and discussing his career path and also his vision for the future in maths in Scotland. Um, so we're going to get his views now. Teach health and well-being with confidence with Happy Healthy You, a health and well-being resource designed specifically for curriculum for excellence. With editable lesson plans, PowerPoints and resources, Happy Healthy You provides teachers with everything they need for a comprehensive health and well-being approach across the school. Topics are built up progressively and are an age-appropriate level for all of your learners. Visit leckyscotland.co.uk to request a sample for your school. You can also save 20% off your purchase by using the code INSIDEVOICES. So we have another guest here on Inside Voices. Our second guest is a bit of a maths whiz. He's going to teach us all things maths, all things numeracy. Um, Our guest is Craig Lowther, and he's going to be introducing himself uh, just shortly. So I'm going to ask you, Craig, what is your experience with maths? How did you get to where you are today? (laughs) It's it's quite a long journey. I'll try and keep it short. So I (laughs) I trained as a secondary maths teacher. Um, my first job was in inner city London, where I was a teacher of maths in a high school, uh, head of department. But then I moved to Scotland, where I went to work in Methyl and Fife. I was a guidance teacher. Uh, then moved to Murray. I've been around a bit. And uh, <laughs> principal teacher of maths. I then moved from Murray to Dumfries and Galloway, Stunra, as faculty head. Uh, and then I liked Murray, oh so goodness. I went back to Murray. <laughs> <laughs> I became a learning and teaching officer, and I think that that was a pivotal point in my career because then I was working in the age range two to eighteen, so the whole right. entire school experience um, that was that was wonderful. I had a during that time I had a short uh, comment to Education Scotland, 
Um, and then I left that job and I'm, I'm in my current position. So I'm curriculum leader for science, computing and education at the University of the Highlands and Islands based at Inverness College. Um, I'm also the series editor for Lecky and Lecky for, for their math series, which is a wonderful job. Um, yeah. And I also am on the editorial committee for the Scottish Mathematical Council journey as well, uh, journal. So it's safe to say you quite enjoy a little bit of maths. <laughs> I, I love maths. I love maths teaching. Yes, yep. all of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. as someone who obviously enjoys maths teaching and has, has so much experience, a wealth of experience in that, how would you say it's kind of changed in your career, the kind of concept of teaching maths? Um, it, it, it's changed a huge amount. Um, it, I think what's happened in the last, you know, 10, 20, 30 years is that we're really starting to understand how children and young people learn mathematics. Um, we understand the sequencing of, you know, the, the topics and the, the steps in learning. But we've also really got to grips through neuroscience of how the brain works. And, you know, this, uh, how the brain works is fundamental because that's, that's ultimately the, the organ that we need to use. This, this whole concept of the very first thing you've got to do if, if somebody's going to learn something new is you've got to get them interested and motivated. It, it, if you don't do that, then it's pointless. So you, it's like that's our, one of our jobs as teachers is to be key motivator. The easiest way to do that is to actually is to get the kids to tell you what are they interested in and then use your imagination for well, how can I link that to the maths that I know that they need to learn and can learn. And then we've got to then we've got their attention. If you don't have their attention, it's pointless. But you got their attention yeah. and then and then you've got to go, all right, so then I've got to get them using their working memory. So they're they're solving problems um, in in their heads. And the thing about our working memory as humans is it's limited. There's only so much information you can hold in there. So when we're, when we're learning new maths, we've got to keep the context simple or use what I call bare number problems. Because as soon as you introduce a context, that's way more cognitive load that the kids have got to think about. You know, if, if, so mm-hmm. if you're doing a topic of measurement and you say, all right, oh, let's do it in the context of um, the bridge. All right. And then the kids are thinking, well, what bridge? Have I been to that bridge? And then all their working <laughs> yeah. memory is getting used up. And then, and then no, but I want, want to learn about measurement. So you've got to think <laughs> about that. Um, and then we've got to practice. And then what we want to do is we want to encode all that learning into a long-term memory. So then it's there. Yeah. And then, it, then we can recall it in the future. So that's fascinating. I didn't know that when I first started teaching. There was, there was no discussion about the brain at all. It was all about structuring how the, the learning happened. So I think that has changed fundamentally. And I think what's also changed fundamentally is we, we now understand the steps in learning. I've done a lot of work and reading around um, New Zealand maths, um, key ideas in teaching maths, uh, mass recovery, all of these ideas, and they all tell us how to structure the learning and number and the, and the stages of development that children go through. So actually, it's been wonderful that I've had the opportunity to do that. And now I go around and I share that with my students and anyone else who will listen yeah. to me. Because once you understand those steps in learning, not just for number, but for any math topic, then you're on a winner. And you know then how to how to think about structuring your learning. So yeah. for, for me, that's that's the two main things. 
And that's all then encompassed within mastery learning. And mastery learning, that's how we structure our lecky books. Um, and the key, the key tenant of mastery learning is that everybody can learn mathematics. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we've, we fully agree with that. We've just actually been speaking about that, that people sometimes say they've got a, a maths brain or an English brain, and we try to break that down in our class all the time, uh, or our classes, sorry, all the time, that we want to encourage every learner that they can all learn maths. Obviously, we're just talking at a primary level, but uh, across the board, and we talked about our own struggles with maths through high school and the things that have helped us um, uh, kind of break through those barriers. Uh, before we move on, kind of talking more about maths, I'm really interested in the fact that you taught just something that you mentioned there that you taught in inner city London when you came out and just quickly would you like to tell us I'd love to hear what your thoughts on this are what what the differences were between teaching in inner city London compared to Fife or Murray or you know what were the challenges that you found down there teaching maths compared to what you found anywhere else that you've taught maths um I've got to go back because that was last century um <laughs> teaching <laughs> When, when I was teaching, it, it was Dagenham, which is the largest council estate in Europe. And what we found was that um, the parents and carers of the children and young people that we were working with, almost none of them had any higher level of qualification. You know, they'd left school early, they'd, they'd gone to, to get a job, they'd work at the Ford factory. Um, the, so... So the kids that we were working with, you know, we wanted to encourage them to succeed in the learning and to be happy in the learning. Um, but we also wanted to help them develop an ambition to continue the learning as well. And that was really hard because they didn't have a role model at home who had that similar journey. So it wasn't just about us working with the kids. It was about us reaching out into the community as well and promoting the ambition to say, you know, there's, there's actually there's multiple pathways that you can follow at the end of compulsory education. And, and that, that mm. still talks to me now in my current job because I lead teams who deliver at SCQF level one to, to students who have additional support needs, all the way through to master's level learning for teaching and, and, and everything in between. And so yeah. what I've learned and I know is that learning is, is lifelong. It's not just for school. It doesn't matter what you do. When you, when you finish school, you're going to go into a job or you're going to be raising a family or you're going to be, all of us are going to be managing a budget. We all need to learn new skills, even despite the fact that we've, we've moved on from, from schooling. So that, that was the, the, the hardest thing for us. And, and now, now, now that I'm a parent as well now, I know I need yeah. to be involved in a positive way in my children's education most everybody <laughs> in the community needs to do that and, and coming back to that you know that whole mass brain or not a mass brain that you no know, we need to what we need to do is is to share with our kids is that everybody can learn maths and everybody <laughs> can develop a positive attitude towards maths and learning maths because it's, it is so important I, I deliver um, a lecture to all of our PGDE students annually. And one of the key facts is, is that people who are good at maths, who enjoy maths, are generally healthier, more successful and have a higher wage. Now, there's, wow. there's, a, there's a story there. So why can't everybody mm -hmm. have that? Why do we need to limit people um, mm. by saying, oh, I was never any good at maths? Well, 
you're just not too late. I mean, my dad's 86 yeah. and he's still learning new ideas. <laughs> he left school with no qualifications, but he's yeah. got an amazing math brain. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, fascinating. That's, that's what happened. And it is something that we've, David said, we've just spoken about that. And I did the PGDE myself. And that was something that when I came into that, I really struggled. And I was that person who said, I don't have a maths brain. But actually, I found through the postgraduate that I did have a maths brain. It's just when I was taught in school, it was very much remembering calculations and remembering formula and not actually the conceptual understanding um, behind what was actually happening. So when I was discussing with my lecturers, they sort of pulled it out of me and said, no, you actually do have a maths brain because you're pulling all these numbers apart and you're putting them back together and you are working things out really well. It's just maybe you can't remember or didn't understand the formula and that's okay. It's just, and I think now that's probably a shift that, we've seen even in the last kind of five years is there's a lot less focus on here's how you structure a you know a formal calculation and it's a lot more about building up strategy and building up that conceptual understanding of how things are built which I think hopefully is shifting that mindset of maths yeah. in our young people and our learners. So you mentioned there Craig that you are involved in editing um, the Leckie Scotland textbooks the primary for primary maths for Scotland textbook and we use that in school we've just started using it this year so I've got a couple of questions for you but what I've noticed um, and I'd like you to talk about your kind of uh, involvement in that as well but what I've noticed with the textbooks compared to previous ones we've used are there are less questions and there are more active parts of the textbook pages so for example some of the challenges at the bottom I, I teach primary seven so we've got we're using I think to see at the moment but I use that textbook and at the bottom of every page there's a challenge question and the children can go and do that with a partner or on their own which I find excellent because they're never sitting yeah my <laughs> students what love the challenges yeah sometimes they, I look at the challenges and I'm like oh, okay go work it go work that one out yourself they get <laughs> so competitive but I think that's great to see because they're so enthused and excited and sometimes when you say the word challenge it would maybe if, especially in a maths context, it might make some children kind of shy away because they think, oh, I don't want to challenge in that. That sounds really difficult. But when you make it that way, like you said, at the end of the page and it's active and it's with a partner and it's exciting, all of a sudden yep. they all want to give it a go. It doesn't matter if they've maybe found the concept a wee bit challenging, they want to give it a go. And there's it's just that competitive nature, isn't it, in children and that, that need for problem solving. They do enjoy it. So what would you say is the thinking behind that? Because obviously we used to do you know, 500 calculations on a page <laughs> of a textbook and the children would just sit repeating, repeating, repeating the same skills all lesson. Now they do maybe I would say maximum four or five on a page with the challenge, which is more kind of open-ended uh, challenges, a lot of them. What's the thinking behind that? So first of all, I have to say that the, the, the team I work with um, at Lecky and Lecky are fantastic. The, the writing team... We've got um, current and retired primary school teachers who, who are um, principal teachers, head teachers, education officers. Um, they are amazing. And we've also got a fantastic design team as well. Um, and I get to, to, to work with them and, and to see the work and to help shape that work. And what we do right at the beginning of, of writing that sequ the se a series, we thought, well, what is going to be the teaching experience? that's going to be happening in the classroom and how can we support teachers and learners with our textbooks? So that, that's the very first thing was we wrote it with in our heads, 
what's going to happen in the classroom. And we also thought, right, not everyone teaches the same. So we need to give some flexibility to the to how the textbooks are used. And then, so the way that the, the pages are structured, you've got before you start, and then you've got the let's learn, let's practice, and then, the, and then the challenge. And what we're trying to do there is to actually sequence the learning that's going to be most effective. So right at the beginning, the, 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 before we start, for effective teaching, you need to know where the kids are at, what they already know, what they have instant recall of, what facts and vocabulary they have, uh, and maybe any misconceptions. And then in the teacher guide, we actually put, well, what are the misconceptions you might come across? And by the way, misconceptions are great, particularly yes. if the kids tell you about them. That's why, you know, learning has yeah. to be collaborative. The kids need to talk about what they're doing and thinking. So the misconceptions, that's just naive learning. That's just their stage in the learning. Get those mm -hmm. misconceptions out there um, and then you can structure the learning to overcome that. And then the, the Let's Learn is based on all of our understandings and readings about how best to structure learning. And I, I don't know if you've noticed that in the Let's Learn, we'll, we'll often reference um, materials or resources to use. But again, we thought, well, not every classroom has got the same resources. So we talked mm -hmm. about you know, tens frames, um, numacomplates, place value counters, uh, multilink, all, all of these. These are great because that's the first stage in learning. And then about visualizing that, which is where the textbook comes in. And then ultimately, we want to learn number facts. And that's where we're getting to. So then why have we only got, you know, four, five or six questions? Because quite frankly, after that, if the kids can't demonstrate the learning, something's gone wrong before. And mm -hmm. doing 10, 20 more questions and getting them wrong or just giving up, which is what many kids do, that's, that's a waste of time. It's pointless. If the kid yeah, is yeah, successful, I've... after four or five questions, they've got it. and then They've got the concept. Yeah. Yeah, and then absolutely. That's, that's why. Now, we have been asked by a lot of teachers um, to produce workbooks, and that we're actually working on that now. So, yeah. They're, they're yeah. There's the inside it. scoop, folks. <laughs> I think that would be beneficial for learners who maybe see the kind of Writ, like the organization you know, like of a jotter and organizing dates titles and all that that would be quite useful for for them because even though they get the concept and they understand what they're doing sometimes yeah. the the layout can be the kind of barrier that maybe the wee bit that's overwhelming so a workbook would be yeah i do remember perfect. myself in primary school working through workbooks and enjoying it um i would say as well though i found a lot of learners actually do quite like sitting down with a textbook yeah uh, i know a, math, a lot of my math is active now a lot of it is that concrete kind of pictorial abstract form and we do a lot of uh, manipulatives and things even in primary seven um but a lot of them do still quite like sitting down and working through um so there's a good balance there as yeah. well and um, what you said there about gaining it after four or five questions could you just speak to that a little bit more because a lot of maybe teachers who have been teaching on, on the road for a little while or parents even who have been out of school for a little while might think, well, no, you need to do 20, you need to do 30, you need to do a whole page before you can get it. Is oh. there data to back that up or is there, what's your kind of point yeah, on that? Yeah, I mean, this was based on research, but I want to come back to the brain as well. So if, if you're using the textbook in, the, in that lesson, and like the kids can, you know, they're demonstrating understanding, which in, in that just in that short number of questions, that's fabulous. But what we also then need to do as teachers is we need to help the memory. Mm 
And this is a concept called deliberate spaced practice. So if you learned a new concept, you've learned a new way to calculate and you can demonstrate it in the moment. And then if you never practice it again, you will forget it. That that's, yep. you know, and it, just think back, you know, when you were at school or university or yep. college, <laughs> you crammed for that exam, then, you know, the two <laughs> days before, and then you got a fabulous result. And then, you know, six weeks later, you can hardly remember anything you wrote. <laughs> That's so true. If you sat me down in front of even a standard grade paper now, we wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> we were just speaking about that when we were talking earlier about how we've, when we became teachers, all the things we had kind of done in primary school, like understanding what an adjective is. We When we came to teach, we were going, remind me what that is again. Yeah, like all I that can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> and so... So what should have been happening is th this idea of deliberate space practice. So, so you, you practice skill and then what the teacher does is we recall back to the previous learning and we practice that, you know, a couple of days later and then a couple of two or three days later than that. And what you're doing is you're, you're helping your muscle. Your brain's a muscle, remember? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're, you're helping the brain to remember. So we recall what we've done previously and we apply that or we practice that. And that, I think that's where the workbooks will come in. And then, yeah. and then the space to practice, then you can space it out more and more because the more you practice something, obviously the, the better you are to remember it. Now doing six or 10 or a hundred questions within a space of a single lesson is not gonna have any difference if you don't do deliberate space practice. That is really, really interesting because yeah, we obviously in primary seven do the SNSAs, the kind of end of year assessments yep. that we We're do. We're both SNSA years, so I'm four and he's seven. So, oh yeah. so. That, that's a common gripe with teachers that you're sitting them down in front of these assessments. Now, the assessment isn't the be-all and end-all, but you sit them down in front of the assessment and you think, we did this. <laughs> we did this, you know, six months ago. How can you not remember how to do this? But children obviously forget. That's really interesting if they don't practice it often. The, the, I'll just quickly, just before you ask, just that there is actually something called the forgetting curve. And it's a fabulous curve. There was um, a friend of mine, Stuart Welsh, wrote an article in the Scottish Mathematical Council. He shared the forgetting curve with everyone. And it's with, within a matter of a few days. If you don't practice them, you start to forget it. So yeah. I think yeah. mine's probably a few minutes. <laughs> that's something we can take, though, into practice. And any teachers who are listening to this can take into practice because at the end of the week, um, I have like, I usually do math stations at the end of the week so I think from now on I might add a review station and they can go in and pick into something that they've been working on but kind of give them the option to choose what aspect of that that they they'd like to do so it's uh mm -hmm. gonna take that and run with that every Friday <laughs> absolutely that sounds awesome um, so obviously we've we've looked at how maths has changed previously. You've given us a fantastic insight into how it's working now. Um, do you have any sort of visions of how you think maths is going to be delivered? You know, from now and to the next five years, ten years. How do you think it's going to be looking uh, to the future? I can tell you what I would like it to look like. Yeah, the <laughs> ideal world. Yes, uh, and the, the, the Scottish Government's just launched its consultation on um, the Hayward Review and all the Withers Review and all of that, so um, that that's really important because we're thinking about shaping how assessment is going to look like in the future. So that's, that's one of my hopes for the future and vision for the future, is that actually we, we continue to develop our understanding of assessment of mathematics. And in, in my context where I'm working in, in a tertiary setting, you know, it, it, I want my my learners to come to college and university with uh, 
a positive mindset, a growth mindset about learning mathematics and continuing their lifelong journey. I also want assessment of mathematics to think about the functional maths that we all need for everyday life, as well as the specialist maths that are contained within the national and higher qualifications. That, that for me is really important because mm -hmm. um, you can have all the qualifications as well, but you also, you need to look after yourself. So you need to be able yep. to budget. You need to be able to make good financial decisions. 100% um, agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and we, we know from research that people, we don't have good functional maths across the population. And that's yeah. because I think we've got the balance of the assessment and the mass curriculum a little bit wrong. People are scared of getting it wrong as well. I think sometimes that can impact the maths, can't it? It's a very, people didn't don't like being wrong and people don't like getting things wrong, but I guess it's about breaking down those barriers and making it like you were explaining earlier, something that it's very clear we need to have and how can you explore it rather than is it right or wrong? Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a second, a second vision as well, which is that teachers, we all have more time together to learn together and to plan together. That, oh, that for me. That sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and believe it or not, there are education systems around the world that do that, that expect that, that teachers plan together, that teachers team teach, is that we, we talk about how we delivered lessons and then we extract, oh, that's really good. I'm going to totally pinch that and use that or oh, think about that again. And it changes the whole dynamic. You know, you know, when you've had a bad lesson, you know what it's like. For me, it was like oh, Friday, period six, third years. Yeah. You, know, you just come out head in hand. It's like, oh, what happened? You know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And and it's like, oh, the, the thing you start, you're, you're in your own head and, and you really want to talk to someone about it. And, and that's what I think we need to create time to do, which is to, yeah. to sit down with colleagues and say, this is, this is what happened. This is my lesson plan. These are the resources. Someone else says, oh, yeah, that, I like that. Or how do you talk about this? This is how I deliver that topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then if you start core planning, it reduces your workload immensely. Um, yeah, we actually team, we were team teachers together for a year and it was the probably the best work-life balance. Yeah. And then when we went back to not being team teachers, my whole world was flipped upside down. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered where you'd gone. Yeah, it was hard. <laughs> and that's... I just said that's that's what another driving factor behind why I agreed to become series editor for Lecky because they had a vision for creating a resource that was going to help teachers. It's it, it's to actually develop that understanding. I think that's probably one thing we've learned as well when you're saying about collaborating with other teachers. I know social media does get bashed quite a lot, but you know we actually with this podcast and with our kind of social media platforms, we hear that so often from teachers that we will, part of what we do is we share clips of things we are doing across the curriculum. So, you know, you shared a really good place value game. Um, I shared a resource with the results of co uh, concrete materials online, like manipulatives online. And the amount of teachers that you get in the comments, you know, saying this is a great idea, thanks for sharing. And then they take it into their practice. And I know it's a bit of a, new concept having teacher social media and all of these things but that collaborative atmosphere just really does make a difference and if we can promote that and have that in every school across every aspect of the curriculum you know it would make a massive difference absolutely and, we, and we've got the tools to do that now i mean 
you guys are just a fantastic example as as to how we can do that. So we we can get teachers from all across the country and the world together now, like we are today, talking about ideas and actually showing each other ideas and sharing sharing lesson plans um, electronically. You know, this we can do this. I know. I already feel like I'm going to go back and change some things yeah. <laughs> from this, even this <laughs> one too. conversation. Me too. Uh, change one or two things about my maths practice. Listen, Greg, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it, and thank you for your insight as well on how to teach maths. I'm sure everyone listening uh, would be thanking you as well if they could and taking away all the tips that you've given them. Oh, thanks for having me. And um, uh, yeah, happy. I love talking about mathematics, and happy to talk more. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. We spend loads of our time listening to kids telling tales and it is finally our turn. So what is your tale of the week? I don't know what it is this week, but it's been getting to me a lot. Oh. Acronyms and education. Oh my gosh. (laughs) There's acronyms for everything. Can we just talk about how many acronyms there are in teaching that there doesn't need to be? Yes. So you could actually have a full sentence in acronyms. Yep. And you could actually understand what that sentence is with another teacher without saying any words. Yeah. I, yeah. I, like, I, I feel like I could you confidently... You speak in another language sometimes. I, I feel like I could confidently do that in a school set. Now that I'm out of the school, I'm struggling to think of them, to be honest. <laughs> but Saturday brain. I actually do think that I could have a full conversation in acronyms. And I just wonder why. I don't think any other profession has it quite like us. I can't remember the acronyms, but I can remember the words. What? Like, see if something is like six words long. I'm more likely to remember the words than an acronym. Yeah. Okay. So just, just you don't need the acronym. Do you know what just I o- stick with the words. Do you know what I also find really interesting? We have like, we have regional acronyms. Yes. We have dialects of acronyms. So I'll be talking to someone from a different part of Scotland or a different part of the UK, and I'll say something like, "Oh, my asthma was doing this," and they don't have a clue. They're like, "Yeah, what does that mean?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's my additional supports needs assistant." And they're like, oh, oh, right, okay, we call them <laughs> It's even things whatever. like, if you're writing documents, there's no, like, we would say class teacher is CT. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know why I need to abbreviate that because it's... The it's, worst one. Do you it's know what the, not long, it's not too long words. Do you know what the worst one is, right? And I never understand what it is. <laughs> educational psychologist is always EP, EP because educational psychologist starts with a P and I never understand what that is. Oh, because it's psychologist. It's edu- I'm like, what is EP? He's <laughs> like EP, ES. I can't work out what it is. I have oh, no I idea. Know I know. So my tale of the week is I am fed up of acronyms. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Inside Voices. Come back next week. We're going to be talking about the arts in the primary school. And remember, in here, we use our inside voices. Inside Voices.